Captain Vactor's log, stardate 764.63.1. His name is Captain Schaff. Is he genetically engineered? Yes. Was he enhanced in every way? Just look at him. Of course he is. But his heart is bigger than any in this room. I should know. We've reached the end of our Star Trek Prodigy Season 1 journey, and I cannot wait to hear Captain Shaw's thoughts. Woo! Welcome, everybody, to Trechnological, a Star Trek shakedown, a short form podcast hosted by two hardworking dads who love to two. talk Trek. <laughs> I'm Captain Vector. With me each and every week, side by side in our co captain's chair on the bridge of the USS Trechnological, is Captain Shoff. Captain Shoff, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How's it going, yeah. everybody? <laughs> how are you doing, Captain Vector? I'm doing very well. And specifically, I am doing very well because I'm talking Trek with my main man, Captain Schaff. Mm. For those of you who are new to Trek and Logical, each episode we'll be traveling to a new planet to seek out new Trek news, as well as sharing our thoughts on the final two episodes of Star Trek Prodigy Season 1. In this one, we've been recapping every episode of Star Trek Prodigy. We finally reached the conclusion with our two-part finale and as a bonus, we'll be recording our adventures in fatherhood with our po popular segment called Boldly Danning. So without further ado, let's set a course for the nearest planet, Captain Chaff, Maximum Warp. Aye, sir. Course laid in. Jacob Park! What's up, jerks? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Captain Chuff, meet me in the transporter room where we'll beam down to the planet's surface and search for some Trek news. Aye, sir. On my way. To the beam down. Yeah, Captain Chuff, let's scan this planet for some sign of Trek news. I found some Trek news, Captain Vactor. Here's some highlights. All right, so we've got a whole bunch of stories, but some of the ones I wanted to throw out to you, you know, if you're if you're having a rough day, maybe you haven't laughed yet, maybe you, you just it's been a rough 2022 and you need a pick me up, then what you need are some Star Trek memes to help y'all live yeah. long and prosper. And uh, thankfully, uh, cheeseburger.com, <laughs> <laughs> which is your source for all things Star Trek memes, <laughs> oh. uh, has collected and curated quite the assortment of uh, Star Trek memes. And there's a lot of really good ones. It's a little bit hard on a podcast to share memes yeah. um, because it's not up on your screen per se. But one of the ones that I really laughed at was a, a shot of uh, the final like scene between Kirk and Spock in the wrath of Khan. And, uh, and Spock is saying, do not grieve Admiral. It is logical. And then he says, but Jim, 
could you do me one last solid and clear my browser history? (laughs) (laughs) And so then there's a shot of Kirk looking at a computer screen, and he's like, let's take a quick peek before we clear the cache. (laughs) And damn, Spock, it's always the quiet ones. (laughs) So I just thought that was pretty funny. There's a lot of good ones in here. Um, I don't want to spoil them, but if if you need to laugh, then I would highly recommend you check out our show notes because we'll have the link to the Star Trek memes site and it's it's good stuff. Oh, really nice. good stuff. Um, additionally, some SpaceX news. Um, if you haven't heard enough about Elon Musk lately, here's some cool stuff. SpaceX is going to launch a diversity tribute to Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry. So um, what's going to happen basically is there were a bunch of fans and they uh, put together uh, a series of art, and the art is actually going to be uh, adorned across these uh, like super dove, uh, super dove uh, satellites that are from a San Francisco-based company called Planet um, atop a Falcon 9 rocket. And so some of these are going to have artwork, quotes to celebrate the legacy of hope and inclusiveness of Star Trek and its creator, Gene Roddenberry. So I thought that was... Pretty dang cool. I wish I had my art going to space. Nice. Pretty awesome. There's actually a, uh, a link you can click on to see a mosaic of the fan art. Ooh. And the mosaic is sort of shaped in the way of the Star Trek uh, Delta uh, oh, nice. uh, symbol. So it's really, really cool. Um, it's part of this uh, Boldly Go campaign. So that's uh, part of it. But yeah, um, very, very cool. Uh, and if you're interested in that, check out our show notes. And then the last bit of news, and this is just more of a looking forward and looking ahead, is uh, the Star Trek series coming out in 2023. So there's a, uh, I don't don't know, I've never heard of this website before, but (laughs) dapsmagic.com has collected all of the the Star Trek series that are coming to Paramount Plus. And uh, just a quick rundown. I'm sure if you're a Trekkie, you know this. But if you aren't familiar and you don't know just how much Trek is coming your way next year, brace yourselves yes. because you're going to have Star Trek Picard. We know for a fact that that has a release date, actually, of February 16th, mm. 2023. Um, this is just a slightly spoil uh, and steal the thunder from Captain Vactor later, but we are going to take a short break uh, and come back uh, in time for Picard. Uh, But so we're looking forward to this third season. This is the third and final season of Star Trek Picard, Mm. Uh, but we can look forward to that on February 16th. And then sometime in 2023, we don't have a date yet, but we have the uh, second season of strange new worlds. Super exciting. We also have season five of Star Trek, Discovery, and hopefully there'll be enough time before that comes out for Captain Vactor to get caught up. I'm making it my goal in 2023 okay, to get good. caught up on Discovery. <laughs> I was going to say, like, this needs to be a freaking resolution. You, you need to get get this done. Yes. And then um, the expected release date of season four of Lower Decks is also 2023. I'm not 100% sure if it'll happen, but uh, it's possible. And then also, we should be looking forward to the second season of Prodigy, which is supposed to also come out in 2023. So that's five shows. Dang. <laughs> that's insane. That's a lot of content. Um, is it five shows? Yeah, five shows. Uh, and that's not even including if they release any new stuff. There's been talk about a Section 31 series for God knows how long. Um, there could be other surprise projects in the works. And I'm thinking there probably will be spinoffs related to characters in Picard. I would think that they're going to have their own shows since Picard is ending. 
so we'll see what happens. But anyways, that's uh, there's a lot to look forward to in track. Man, I cannot wait. So let's finish up 2022 strong, Shoff, with our episode discussion. This week, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episodes 19 and 20, which are the season finale, Supernova, Parts 1 and 2. Right. Uh, just so you know, we are going to be spoiling it. So, Shoff, let's get right into it and throw up a red alert right here. The first episode, part one, aired December 22nd, 2022, directed by Andrew Schmidt and written by Aaron McNamara. And Supernova Part 2 first aired December 29th, 2022, directed by Ben Hibben and written by Kevin and Dan Hageman or Hagman. You know, it's interesting that they split up the duties on Part 1 and Part 2. Normally for like a finale, I would think they would have one consistent creative team, but... I guess they wanted to split it up. Let's see how successful they were, Shoff. Yeah. Synopsis, surrounded by the Federation Armada, the crew attempts to stop their ship from destroying all of Starfleet. So that was the going into it, uh, part one of Supernova. And real quick, Shoff, the synopsis for the part two, as the Federation hangs in the balance, the crew must make the ultimate sacrifice to save Starfleet's future. So let's talk about these together, Shoff, as one yeah, I think big that's a good thing. Idea. What did you think overall, actually, of the season and then of Supernova? Um, I, I feel like the first half of the season, to me, was a little slow mm, and yeah. a little bit... Um, how do I say this? It, it just... I think that it really found its footing in the second half of the season. It actually didn't even find its footing initially in the first part of the second half of the season. I think it was towards the the latter episodes of the season that it really picked up. They had quite a focus of where they were going with the story instead of it sort of being a little bit happenstance about how things were going down. Like it felt very targeted. Mm. Um, and, and that worked really well because there wasn't any filler episodes. It was everything had a purpose. Um, and I prefer my shows to have like to be like that where they clip along with purpose and not have too much filler type stuff. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, and this is no dig against Smallville because I loved Smallville, but there were plenty of episodes that were just like filler episodes um, to reach like a season count. Yeah. I hate like that. those. Yeah, and, and like that didn't serve the overall series arc or season arc or whatever. So it's just like I really like when a show from start to finish is very carefully uh, planned out. And so the way Prodigy finished, super strong, super strong. Um, it finished strong enough to be like, wow, the stakes are pretty big for a, a, a kid's show. Yeah. It is a kid's show. But mm-hmm. like what is happening in that and the fact that this is technically canon, like that's wild, like. It could have dismantled all of Starfleet. Federation would have been gone. Like, I realize, obviously, um, Picard takes place after this, right? Like, um, they can't undo the Federation. (laughs) (laughs) But they can definitely make it seem like it it could very well happen. So um, I, I, I feel... Uh, I feel like they did a really solid job. And this season, I, I almost never even watched the show. So first of all, big thanks to John Darnowski, uh, one of our listeners, um, for uh, not forcing us 
and certainly not at phaser gunpoint <laughs> or anything, <laughs> but, but just like encouraging us to watch the show mm-hmm. uh, because I would never have watched it. And that's only because I thought it was for children. I still feel like it is, but I also feel like it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> the stakes are too big for a kid's show. Like kids don't need that kind of drama in their lives where like the fate of the universe hangs in the balance, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so in that respect, I'm like, this is a little much. This is a little heavy content for kids but um the trekkie in me is absolutely enjoying it so i'm glad i watched it it was a good show the season finale two-parter very strong episode um and i like where they're going with this i'm excited to see what happens next in season two uh and uh yeah that's what i have to say just like broad strokes about the show what about you vector yeah i was the same way i think having 20 episodes total in season one kind of led to that Smallville type of show. And that was, you know, growing up, that's how most of the shows were on network television. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, And it got to the point where 24 on Fox had 24 episodes, and they were hour-long episodes. And I was like, man, there's just too much to keep up with on these shows. So I like how the current stuff is more 10 episodes, um, even six episodes on certain streaming shows. And this probably could have benefited from that a little bit, bringing the episode count down. But I had a great time my whole season one with Prodigy. I had a um, a fun ride with it, and we talked about it. We talked about every episode. And the finale in, in particular, I thought they did a great job in the first part setting up those stakes. You actually thought, like you said, we know the Federation is not going to be destroyed, but... There was a definite, um, I was worried as I was watching it. So I I think they did a great job as far as that goes. And then part two, the way that they wrapped it up in the resolution, I thought was great. I thought the solution they came up with, the way that Janeway kind of, the crew endeared themselves to her. Because when she first encountered them, she was aiding them. But that whole, uh, them getting into Starfleet, or trying to get into Starfleet was great. And then also at the end, I think setting up season two, that Chakotay stuff with Janeway. So there was some great Trek stuff throughout. If you're a longtime fan of Trek, and especially Voyager, there was some great Easter eggs and things that were sprinkled throughout. But also good for new Trekkies, new fans. This is actually a show that I would recommend if someone was not, or new to Trek, this would be a good point of okay this is what trek is it's there's action there's science there's the camaraderie of the crew different emotional stakes um all throughout i think this is a good encapsulation of what the best trek is yeah and yeah i'm really looking forward to season two i think i will continue with the show and um i think we both can give it our recommendation um, d- very different type of show than Lower Decks, but it it's also, it fits in the whole Trek universe. So I had a great time with, with Prodigy. Oh, yeah. God, it was fun. And, you know, it has a lot of heart. It has a lot more heart than I gave it credit for initially, um, especially the way they handled the uh, quote-unquote death of the Janeway hologram. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, right. Uh, part of me wondered if from season two, un- like until the final minutes of the episode, I was like, oh, they have to distance themselves from Kate Mulgrew. Like, 
I mean, she was sort of like the linchpin to getting Trekkies to watch the show, right? Like the, I think to watch a show that doesn't feature any characters that we know would have been probably a stretch and probably wouldn't have been as well received. So she's like the, she's the lightning rod to gather all the, the fans and get them to watch the show. But I was like, at the end of the season, I mean, they're going to probably distance themselves from Janeway, but no, yes and no. Yes in the hologram, but no in the vice admiral. So um, that'll be cool to, for them to actually get to work with the human Janeway. Um, I am a little surprised that she's that willing to get on another starship and, and go out into space after spending so many years uh, isolated in the Delta Quadrant. Like, I don't, I think for me, if I was, you know, a Star Trek captain who risked everything after being transported by the caretaker array all the way into the Delta Quadrant to find its way back home, like, I think I probably would not be on a ship <laughs> again. <laughs> I think I probably would have left Starfleet. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I would have stuck around. Oh, man. Or at least I would have taken a desk job, you right. know, like she, yeah. As a, as a vice admiral, I would have thought she would have been, you know, pushing papers or something. But I'm no, she's interested to see what they named the ship. Um, yeah. Well, and that ship wasn't for them, right? She said it was something bigger, which makes me wonder what the ship is going to be. Um, I don't know. We'll definitely, know. but I'm, I'm glad there's going to be more Chakotay. Yes. That was a, that yes. was like the the breadcrumb I knew we were going to come back to and circle back to in some respect. And uh, we're not going to see like Dahl and Gwyn are now doing some kind of long distance thing because she's going to find her home world and try to you know warn them about everything. Um, that actually surprised me that they didn't get together by the end of the season because they've been teasing it throughout. And even the actors, if you watch the midway point ready room that they did, the, I did see that. Yeah. yeah, The, the, even the actors, it seemed like they were trying to kind of hint at, well, I think they're going to be giving each other looks and stuff, but I figured <laughs> it by the... kind of looked like the voice actor who plays Doll looked like he was really into oh, the, yeah. the girl who yeah. plays... That did, that I did point. catch on that as well. I was but, like, oh, he's he's crushing. This dude is crushing hard. I was like, so. 10 more episodes? Yeah, they're going to get together, but <laughs> nope. I, one thing I laugh at is uh, on the Ready Rooms, I wonder if they've ever interviewed um, Jason Mansukis Because... He just doesn't seem like the type that would sit down for like an interview about a Star Trek show that he's the voice of. I don't know if he's ever done one, but to me, it seems like that would be a step in a different direction for someone like him. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen anything, but you and I both love him. So I'd, I'd uh, I love, love to I love see him Jason. do something. Yeah, he's the best. He's yeah. the best. He, every show he's in, he steals like the screen uh, with his antics. He's so 100%. Funny. So, Shaw, um, we reached the end of 2022. Yes. I want to look back as we're about to close out this year and ask you, what was your favorite Trek show that came out Ooh. in 2022? Okay. Okay. Well, uh, for me, I think the most consistently good show from start to finish of the season would have to be Strange New Worlds. Captain Pike... Man, I I wish this dude, I wish Anson Mount would just decide to run for president <laughs> and become the president of the United States because <laughs> he clearly has what it takes. And he had quite a year um, with movies and stuff that he was involved in. So 
Um, I, I loved Strange New Worlds. It's my most anticipated thing. And I would say it, it might even be more anticipated than uh, Picard Season 3. Ooh. Just because Picard Season 2 had a lot of weird missteps along the way. And it kind of suffered from weird pacing uh, where like it was strong and then it wasn't strong and then it was strong and then it wasn't strong. Um, obviously I, I am so excited to see the rest of the, T- the TNG crew again in, in Picard season three. But um, I think I just really fell in love with the, uh, the crew, the cast, um, everything about the enterprise and the stories that they were telling on strange new worlds. So great. Yeah, what about I you? 100% echo your thoughts. Strange New Worlds was the best thing about 2022. Could not wait to see every episode. Go back in our feed and listen to all of our reviews of Strange New Worlds. We were definitely enjoying it as the season progressed. I think we just kind of, the momentum built each week, and we just we didn't want that season to end. So when season right. two comes back, I think we're both going to be flying high on that premiere shelf when season two oh, comes yeah. out well and and for our listeners maybe you haven't watched some of those older shows from the past year maybe um when you found out about our show you were watching the current show right but maybe you didn't watch picard season two or you didn't watch strange new worlds or lower decks when we started in february with this podcast um we started with picard and we've gone all the way through so um if you haven't had a chance to listen to those previous episodes, give them a, give them a, a listen, throw them on while you're working and, uh, or, or on some kind of commute or whatnot. It's a, a great way to just kind of relax and kick back, but also uh, get that Trek content. You know what I'm talking about? That is the thing to do, Shuff. So now comes the t- part of the show where Shuff and I like to talk about our little wee ones. Um, boldly dadding <laughs> our, <laughs> our, our fatherly segment. <laughs> <laughs> the weekly segment where we share a story or a lesson that we learned throughout the past, or the past two weeks. I was going to say the past week, but we haven't had an episode for uh, two weeks. So what have you learned this week, Shaw, in the world of boldly dadding? <laughs> well, um, Shaw. Sorry, I that was weird. Um, some happy birthday song just started playing on my computer. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I thought it was your computer. I was like, what is going on? And I looked, and it was one of the art news articles that, <laughs> that I had up um, from our Trek c- content. We were talking about Trek news. It like flipped into an ad, and it was like some like happy birthday <laughs> thing. And it was screaming happy birthday to me. And I was like, it's not my birthday, guys. It's so <laughs> I mean, I'll take presents, but no, it's not my birthday. Okay, that let's move. Let's let's move past that. I'm not even going to delete that from the audio recording. <laughs> it's it's. I'll, I'll delete the pause. But holy crap, that was funny. Um, okay, so uh, for me, uh, the past couple of weeks have been a bit of a challenge. Uh, we have been striking out with a nanny. So. One thing that we had in, in Colorado before we moved is we had an, uh, a nanny who was in our in our home. So she would come uh, around 8 a.m. and she would stay till, I want to say, like either 3 or 4 o'clock. She would stay all day. She'd be there every day of the, the work week. Um, and she was instrumental. If it was housekeeping that we needed um, or if it was managing 
uh, Emily, our toddler, who's two and a half, or if it was, uh, she was around uh, when Sage was born. So like she stayed at the house while we were um, at the birthing center. So it ha- happened to, um, uh, Sarah went into labor when it was the evening hour. So, uh, so our nanny Morgan came over and, uh, and she basically s- slept in our house and made sure that, you know, if Emily needed anything that that she was taken care of and she was awesome. She was excellent. And that, probably the, the worst part about having to, uh, about moving was that we weren't going to have her support anymore. Cause she, she wasn't going to move with us despite us asking. <laughs> We're like, please move, please move with us to Washington. <laughs> but so she didn't obviously. And, um, we don't have any friends or family out here. I mean, we're starting to slowly make friends and stuff, but uh, it's been a real challenge just to do it all on our own. Um, and I'm working from home, so it's not like I can just leave the office and sort of leave um, uh, the interruptions or distractions of, of, of managing a household as well. And, uh, you know, I got to say, like, it's been a real challenge. I just heard a gunshot. Okay, that's really weird. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Anyways, there's so many things derailing my <laughs> attempts to have a conversation. Uh, but the the long, uh, the, st- the short story related to this is that it's been a real struggle to find help. And we've been trying on various sites to find a nanny and keep striking out. And there was one that we interviewed a few days ago and uh, she was potentially going to work out for us, uh, maybe even starting next week. But today we had made plans to go visit an in-home daycare. And it, we've never done this with Emily before. She was a pandemic baby born in, on the 4th of July back during the pandemic 2020. And, uh, uh, you know, all she knows is us. She knows us. She knows a, a nanny that would come to the house. She's a homebody. Like, it's she doesn't get a whole lot of socialization with other kids her age because we just haven't really found any. And... Um, she's really only around us. So that the idea of putting her into a daycare is kind of a strange concept and not one we were initially jonesing about because that's taking her out of her comfort zone in a big way. And she's, she's a pretty introverted kid. I mean, when you get her in her element, when she's at home, like with us, she's an extrovert. She's outgoing. She's fun. She's goofy. But when she's in like an outside of her comfort zone, like most people, including myself, she's reserved, she's quiet, she um, does not engage, she looks down, she, you know, she, um, so it takes her a bit to warm up. And so we're really hoping this works out, but we decided to go with the daycare. And as we were leaving the place and we were heading to uh, dinner, I was talking with Sarah because we were kind of like going back and forth. Do we want to do this? Do we not want to do this? And, uh, I was saying to her, I was like listing off all the pros, like, oh, it's going to be helpful. You'll have this much time at home with just Sage so you can get more stuff done, blah, blah, blah. We're going through all things. And I was thinking, but I was like, but one of the cons, and this really took me by surprise because I work from home and I want everyone to understand, like, I love my daughter, both of my daughters so much. Uh, There's nothing I wouldn't do for them. But sometimes (laughs) my toddler can be a bit of a handful and she can be very disruptive to my workday because she just barrels through my door into my office and interrupts me. I could be in the middle of a a conversation or a meeting and it wouldn't matter. Like, um, so, and sometimes she only wants 
whoever the other parent is to do like a diaper change. So like Sarah, my wife will be out there and she'll be like, not you, not you. She wants Dada to do it. And so like, I have to stop what I'm doing and go change a diaper, which is not a problem, but it is an interruption. And sometimes I need to get work done. So, but even though all of that exists, like the benefits of her not being home so I can get work done, I said to myself, but she won't be home. Her being at an in-home daycare means she won't be at home. It means I won't just see her anytime I step out of my office. And that made me break down in the car. Like I started crying thinking about it. Like I got a really emotional, like, like my voice got shaky. I started tearing up. My wife was like, Oh, <laughs> like it really like surprised me that I felt that way. Not that it was a surprise to feel that way, but just that, um, despite all the <laughs> interruptions and distractions that I would still, you know, I'm going to miss her. And, uh, that's something I have to come to terms with that. I'm going to miss her and she's going to miss me. Um, but that this is for the best for our family to free us all up in a way and also give her the benefit of socialization that she hasn't had with kids her age. Um, uh, and, and sort of just expanding her comfort zone and, and building her confidence around other people and stuff. And that's really a big deal. And, uh, it's also financially way more affordable mm. than an, an in-home nanny by like literally it's, th- it's, I don't, I'm not going to say numbers, but I'm going to say it was three times more expensive to go with an in-home nanny mm. for like three or four days a week of in-home daycare by comparison. Mm. So, um, so we're going to go that route and, uh, we'll see what happens. I think it might be a couple weeks before we officially start it just because of paperwork and stuff. Um, but, uh, I look forward to sharing updates in 2023 with how the daycare went or is still going. I hope it works out, but, um, we're just going to see what happens because the nanny thing is not working anymore in Washington. It just has not worked. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I ju- we just, we need help. We can't do everything ourselves. And it, it takes a village with little kids. Yeah. And uh, if you're fortunate enough to have family members nearby, grandparents, you're very lucky. Um, and if you don't and you're doing it on your own or you're doing it with your partner and you don't have any additional help, man, kudos to you. Kudos to any family, honestly, regardless of how much help you have, because it does take a, a village and it takes a lot. So um, you're super at what you're doing as long as you're doing it. So that's what I would say about that. Excellent. Shoff, I'm glad that the future looks bright for you and it looks like everything is uh, falling into place. Definitely want to see all of those things happen uh, for you. And it's interesting to think about the temporary versus the long term of missing them and, you know, what is best for them in the long run. And, we oftentimes, and I've had this many times that I've experienced with my son, where something it's temporary, it's, it's happening for a week, a month, um, maybe even a couple months, but there's really nothing permanent I've found with my son. Everything's changing, everything in his life. You know, I think this is the largest amount of change that humans experience is in the um, childhood phase. So all of these things are happening, all these changes, but 
they're so fleeting. When you think about the overall lifespan, they're just a small blip on the radar. Um, yeah. So it's always interesting to think about that. Uh, for my segment this week, I was actually just, I had another topic that I was going to talk about, but I was listening to a dadding podcast and they were talking about this term that I had never heard of before and was doing a little bit more research about it. I guess there was, there's been talk about this going back to 2013, but this is the first time I had ever heard the term, um, a radical notion called childism. And there's an opposite to that called adultism. So just to kind of briefly sum it up, it's the ne- the notion that kids need to be respected as human beings. So childism, if you're a childist, you are for children getting respect. Um, and so despite the, the differences in size, experience, and power, adults and children are inherently of equal worth and that kids' perspective and experiences should be considered on the same merits as those of adults. And you oftentimes think of, okay, I'm bigger than you. I have more life experience than you. I know what's best for you. I'm the adult and you're the child. And that's always something that, you know, as a kid, that's what I thought with my parents. Oh, yeah, they're bigger than me. They know better than me. Um, But there is... Um, a way that the children's needs can be respected. Um, the op- opposite of this being adultism, where it's actually promoting stereotyping and disempowering of young children. Um, an adultist positions adults as superior to children regardless of merits, and compromise with a child is considered being defeated. So they actually, there's a book by Elizabeth Young Brule called Childism Confronting Prejudice Against Children. And that author actually makes the argument that prejudice exists towards children as a group comparable to racism, sexism, and homophobia. So it's, I thought it was just a fascinating idea to think of because Schaff, I think, is very similar to me in the way that we think about our children. And I'm someone who always wants to have a think about my, my son in a positive light and think about everything that he does is, is respected and he has equal value and worth. And, um, even if he doesn't have necessarily the, the same tools that I have that I've developed over the years as an adult, I can still help him by and respect him at the same time. So this is something I'm going to think about moving forward with my son and um, trying to not think about it in terms of, oh, yeah, he doesn't know anything. He's a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can give him knowledge. I can give him, hey, this is what we need to do right now. This is why we need to do it. And, you know, if it's a decision of, hey, I want to eat cereal for dinner and I want to eat candy for dinner, you know, things like that. It's like, okay, we need to tell you this is we this is what nutrition is. This is what a proper meal is. 
things like that, uh, but still give him that those tools and say, hey, this is why we do these things and not just mm-hmm. do it because I said so. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you bring up a good point. And I think, like, one thing I've, I've discovered with my toddler, because, she, you know, toddlers are picky eaters, right? I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure Ezra is the same way. <laughs> um, I'm sure he has his favorites, but even his favorites, I'm sure there are plenty of times where he's like suddenly not interested in them. But um, one thing that's working or working better with Emily is you you empower them, right? Like it, it, there's a difference between telling somebody to do something or empowering them to make the choice themselves. And I think like if you give them a choice between a couple of things, like do you for breakfast, do you want oatmeal or do you want uh, blueberries and a puree or something like that? Then you put the choice in their hands. They make their own decision, but you're still guiding it. Right. Like but you're but you are empowering them to make those choices. And and I think that that goes a long way instead of saying you're eating oatmeal and that's final. (laughs) Don't you make a stink. You'll eat it because there's kids starving in countries, blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole thing. That The stuff that, you know, I know I grew up mm-hmm. with, you know, right? Like, uh, your parents are incredible. Um, uh, shout out to, to Vactor's parents. They're, they're excellent. Out of this world, even. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that, that that's essential. Essential. So you would, I would assume, then label yourself a childist. Yes. And it's funny because you think of okay, racist, like that has a negative like connotation. And so, oh, childist, I, you'd think it would be the opposite. But no, yeah, it's, that's the positive one um, that is somebody who respects children and, and sees them as equal to adults. So, yeah, I, w- I would actually, thinking about it today, like I said, I just found out about this um, concept today. I would say I am a childist. You know, it's interesting the way it's kind of worded. It 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 really does make being an adultist kind of insensitive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't want to imply that, but it kind of does. Like the way it's worded, it sort of it really diminishes respect for kids and uh, as if a human life is not worth respect. Right. So, uh yeah, I I definitely think the way it's it's phrased you either are a childist or you're just not a a nice person. (laughs) 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 But but I'm sure there's, there's varying layers of that. I think it's, I think more so people are probably varying degrees of childist, Mm -hmm. I think is probably the better way to, to phrase it. I know I'm definitely, according to that, a childist. Uh, We've talked about this earlier today, but I think it bears repeating. Um, You know, people will ask me from time to time and I, I think you're the same way pretty much. Uh, we don't put our kids on social media. Mm-hmm. And if we do, we, we block their faces. Um, I'll put an emoji over, over Emily's face all the time or Sage's face. Um, I think there's only been a handful of times that we haven't on like an Instagram story, but for anything that's like a post or whatever, like we don't, um, we made that decision before they were born. Uh, we said to ourselves, and you know what, this was a harder thing for me to, to come to terms with, but, something that uh, my wife Sarah had brought up and I think it was a perfect thing is kids deserve to make that decision themselves. The decision is whether or not they want their image available on the internet. Uh, Cause when you share something like that, it's public, it's public domain at that point, you can't get it back. Like it's out there. Um, and so, and even with my friends, like I don't know what, and these, I'm not saying my friends are bad people. My friends are great, but like, you don't know what someone's doing with your stuff. 
with when your pictures and you're posting stuff, you don't know what somebody's doing. You don't know what goes on inside someone's home. There are a lot of weirdos out there and it, I'm not going to give them the content they so desperately need of little girls, you know, pictures of little girls. So, uh, I don't post any pictures of my kids on social media. And when they are old enough to decide for themselves, if they would like to be on social media, then, then if they want their pictures on there, I'll share. I'm happy to share. I am a very proud dad, but I'm going to respect their wishes. And until they can make their own wishes, I think it's probably best if, uh, uh, I don't selfishly make them for my own self. Cause like, and this is not a dig at anybody who posts pictures of their kids, but I think it's important when you're going to post something like that, that you ask yourself, why am I sharing this? You should really do that with everything, honestly, but like you should definitely do it with your kids' pictures. What, what are you getting out of this by sharing it? Yeah. What validation, what recognition do you need that you're not getting? And that's why you're posting it. If it's just pure pride as a parent, I, I get that totally. But you really should dig deep and think about like, what, are, what is it? What, what itch are you scratching by uploading this picture on social media? And uh, I'm sure you probably have some legitimate reasons and I'm not here to judge. I just want you to, I want, I'm asking this question rhetorically so that you'll ask yourself that question. And then as long as you can come up with a reasonable uh, response, then great. But if you can't, then maybe you shouldn't be posting it because maybe then you're also realizing that you have some childish ways inside of you <laughs> and you want to respect their wishes too. So that's what I would say about that. Yeah, social media is a whole new ball of wax that we yeah. didn't have to deal with growing up. No, we didn't. Our, but so many of us have made our kids the, I would say the focal point of a lot of Instagram accounts. Like I have a lot of friends who, um, who have, who are, you know, my age and have families. And I would say nine out of every 10 photos are pictures of their kids. Yeah. And were they consulted? Probably not. No. <laughs> Could I, they have made a, a rational like call on that? Probably not. Yeah. I, I think it's very similar to like in TV, they have waivers that people sign. Oh, if they don't, I, I tell my wife this all the time. When you see somebody's face blurred out on something, I'm like, oh, they didn't sign the release form. They didn't get permission to use right. that person's face. And a lot of times it's, um, unless it, unless you're Borat, it's a negative thing where either they're making fun of the person or something. You just, you know, they look at them in, in a negative light. And so they don't want to give their permission you know, to show it on, on television, but that should be the same thing with, I think children and social media. And then that comes down to the childish, um, mentality of, Oh, do the children know what's right for them? Where maybe they'll say, Oh yeah, I agree to this. And then later on, Oh wait, maybe I didn't, you know? So there's a whole ball of wax, but I'm, I'm like you, I, I don't choose at this point to, um, show my, my child's face on social media. But yeah, it's very interesting in 2022 and 2023 moving forward, how we're raising our, our children. But that's the whole point of our boldly dadding segment, talking about <laughs> how Captain Schaff and I um, are navigating these waters of, of being fathers in this current modern age. So we hope you enjoyed that segment and um, all of our past segments that we have on our previous episodes. And we'd just like to thank you very much for joining us 
this year, this whole year of 2022, we've had a great time talking Trek and talking about being fathers. Um, if you'd like, you can always follow us. Speaking of social media, Treknopod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, um, as well as um, YouTube. We have all of these channels uh, that we like to uh, try to cover all of our bases. Where, wherever you're at on social media, hopefully Treknological has some type of uh, footprint on there. Um, if you really enjoyed it, don't forget to leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It really helps us out, and we would love if you'd share us with all of your Trekkie friends and family. Word of mouth is huge as far as getting our, you know, we're a small podcast, so get f- growing the community, growing the um, the fan base, I guess, with Treknological is, is very much a grassroots type of thing where we're spreading through word of mouth. So we would love if you would share us with one of your Star Trek loving uh, relatives or friends. Uh, we will see you. Uh, actually, Shaw mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show. And he alluded <laughs> to it. We're actually going to take a little bit of a hiatus. So we will see you in February of 2023 when Star Trek Picard season three debuts. Ooh. We're going to have a little stop by Space Duck for some much needed overhaul and a podcast refit. But we're going to be back <laughs> in time for Star Trek Picard season three. Shuff, I cannot wait to see what that final season of Picard has in store because I thought Ooh. season one, it was like really good. I was really enjoying it. And then season two, there was something that they had a little bit of a dip. So I'm hoping he can finish strong um, for Jean-Luc yeah. in season three. Uh, he needs to get with uh, Beverly Crusher. Mm-hmm. He's got he's to gotta crush her. He's got to <laughs> crush her. Um, real quick, before we close out, I, want, I forgot to mention one thing during our Prodigy conversation. This was a really funny article I came across um, related to the, the plot elements of um, the uh, 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 Supernova Part 1. So in that episode, as we've already warned about spoilers, but um, the diviner gets killed. And uh, and so he dies on the bridge of the protostar. And <laughs> so they realized uh, that they had to address this issue. So um, they were talking with um, uh, Kevin Hageman, and he's one of the brothers who's basically like the show uh, creators and the writers for a lot of episodes and stuff. Um, but he said that, um, he said it was an accident when we first wrote it, our directors pointed out that you have this dramatic face off with this, uh, stuff in the end. And the diviner's body is just laying there <laughs> the whole time on the bridge. <laughs> and we're like, Oh my gosh, we can't have that. So what they did the way that they fixed it is they, they basically changed Canon. Well, they didn't change it cause it, this species didn't exist before, but they basically established in canon that now the Vau Nakat, uh, the, that's the species name of this, so the Diviner, Gwyn, all of them, um, they when they die, they evaporate. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to get rid of his body somehow. So they were like, well, let's just let's just dissolve it. <laughs> so uh, so that's what's going to be how they handle dead bodies 
for that species. So I thought that was kind of funny. Nice. Um, but what a quick way to solve the problem. Uh, so anyways, that I just I had to get that off my chest because I knew that I would, once I was listening back to this episode and editing it and I didn't have that in there, I was going to be like, oh, <laughs> gosh, <laughs> off, what's your problem? Excellent. So anyways, that, that's for that's for you. That's for you, Trekkies. That was fantastic, Shaf. Very, very good eye catching that story this week. Well, I believe our mission of the year is complete. Vector and Shaf here, two to beam up. Live long and prosper in 2023. (laughs) 